Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, move over, SNC-Lavalin. There's another liberal scandal gaining traction these days, namely the Vice Admiral Mark Norman affair. Rebel Commander Ezra Levent was in Ottawa to cover this story, and just wait till you hear what Ezra has to say. Bashing Israel on campus seems to be a national pastime sometimes, but thankfully, the pathetic attempt to vilify Israel at Stanford University earlier this week turned out to be a complete bust. Key and Beckstay went down to California to witness the fiasco, and he'll share his thoughts. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day, and I'll share some of your responses regarding how the Trudeau Liberals were very big on lauding World Press Freedom Day last week. But do they practice what they preach when it comes to freedom of the press? <laughs> what do you think? Those are Rebels, now let's round them up. Vice Admiral Mark Norman and his lawyer Marie Hanane will have a press conference discussing their great legal victory this morning over the prosecution against Mark Norman for one count of breach of trust. You may know that Mark Norman was charged with this after he uh, blew the whistle on Justin Trudeau's liberal plan to move a shipbuilding contract from a Quebec firm to a liberal-connected firm, the Irving Shipyards in the Atlantic, that would cost Canadian taxpayers $89 million to break the contract with the Quebec firm. And of course, it did not meet the original bid. So this was pure political machinations on the part of the Liberals. Vice Admiral Mark Norman mentioned this to the Quebec shipyard and perhaps others and was prosecuted for a crime, a crime generally reserved for those who engage in some sort of personal corruption or even treason. In fact, he was a honest, good-faith whistleblower. It was the Liberals who were corrupting the process. Uh, interestingly, a few days ago, Andrew Leslie, the retired general in the Canadian Armed Forces who sits as a Liberal MP, made it be known that he would actually testify on behalf of Vice Admiral Norman and that this trial would happen shortly before the 2019 election. Well, wouldn't you know it, today... The prosecution dropped the case against Mark Norman, saying new evidence had come to light. Well, folks, if you thought the SNC-Lavalin scandal was bad, just check out the nitty-gritty details pertaining to the Vice Admiral Mark Norman case. Indeed, can the optics possibly get any worse? Once again, the Trudeau Liberals were meddling with a business arrangement for purely political reasons. Once again, the Trudeau Liberals turn a good person into a scapegoat and once again, the Trudeau Liberals carry out a vendetta against an individual for doing the right thing. Poor Vice Admiral Norman, I guess he didn't get the memo going by the book. When it comes to this federal government, potentially means incurring the wrath of the Prime Minister. Gee, maybe what Norman should have done is kill an Allied soldier with a hand grenade. After all, that sort of thing doesn't get you fired and de defamed. Rather, it scores you a multi-million dollar payday. 
And with more on the Norman file is our very own rebel commander, Ezra Levent, who personally traveled to Ottawa earlier this week to cover this sort of affair. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. Well, thanks very much. I was glad to get to Ottawa. I thought the trial would be ongoing, and I thought, oh, it's just getting interesting now. And the eve of the hearing on, I think it was Wednesday, um, the prosecution announces they have an important news uh, to say, and quickly it was deduced that they were going to drop the case after two years. Now, the thing yeah. is, um, the nature of criminal prosecutions is you have the enormous resources of the state, you have the police, you have the Justice Department, and this is the federal government, so it's the biggest of them all. They have the RCMP, they had um, the the clerk of the Privy Council, that's the head of the entire civil service, is the one who referred this to prosecution. Justin Trudeau, on at least two occasions, before charges were laid, intimated that charges would be laid. Yeah. So, Which sounds pretty inappropriate oh, to me. Yeah. Um, in, we live in a country where the prime minister doesn't say he's going to be prosecuted. <laughs> he isn't. But, but we now know from the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin matter yeah. that Justin Trudeau does very much meddle. Uh, and... So, but my point is for two years, you've had the combined resources of many government departments bearing down on one man, Vice Admiral Mark Norman. Why? Because he tried to blow the whistle and stop the liberals yeah. from scuppering a sound procurement plan that actually worked, yes. got a ship built on time and on schedule. Scott Bryson wanted to give it to the liberal-connected Irving shipbuilding. Right. Not only did they lose the bidding uh, procurement process, but it would cost an $89 million penalty to the Quebec firm. So it was a disastrous idea with a huge penalty, and it was all just corrupt liberals feathering their bed. Mark Norman blew the whistle on it, and Trudeau basically said, get him. And, for two, and Michael Wernick, the corrupt former chief of the clerk of the Privy Council who resigned in disgrace a few weeks ago, and Scott Bryson who resigned in disgrace a few months ago, and Gerald Butts who resigned in disgrace a few months ago. They were all in on this. And here's, the, here's my point. Prosecution has a duty to disclose to the accused any evidence that would exonerate him. Yes. That's the requirement of the Crown. You have to show the case that they have to meet, but you also have to give them exculpatory evidence. And in this case, the government deliberately withheld exculpatory evidence because they wanted to frame him. When the government breaks its own laws to get you for a political crime, well, let me phrase it another way. Justin Trudeau wanted an honest sailor to go to prison for a crime he did not commit. And worse than that, he took steps illegally to withhold key evidence from the court. And it was only by the uh, wits and the resourcefulness of the defense lawyer, Marie Hainan, yeah. that that evidence was found, shown to the prosecutor who finally said, you know what, I can't, my own ethics and professional reputation, I cannot continue with this sham. This is a frame up. I'm pulling the plug. I don't care what Trudeau says. This is, I don't want to be part of this anymore. So it's a disgrace that this went on for two years. It's good that it ended. But you can't simply do this, as Trudeau did, and then say, oh, sorry, I shot at you. I mean, you can't simply walk away as if everything's normal. Indeed, and I think for all the reasons you just said, I think, Ezra, even though it didn't get nearly the publicity that SNC-Lavalin got, this is 
by several factors worse than yeah. SNC Levelin. And also when it comes to accountability, plenty of blame to go around here. I want to know from you, Ezra, who needs to take the fall? Is it the general that fired um, uh, Norman? Is it the defense minister? Is it the RCMP uh, people who botched this investigation from everything I can tell? Is it the prime minister himself or is it all of them? Well, I don't know all the facts, but I think that Jody Wilson-Raybould probably knows a lot of them. Mm. She was the attorney general uh, f for a portion of this, and she has specifically not been freed from her cabinet confidentiality to talk about it. Justin Trudeau specifically refused to release her from obligations. She would know. I think the, the prosecution service, this is twice now they've been meddled with. The funny thing is Justin Trudeau interfered to let a confessed criminal off the hook, SNC-Lavalin has admitted their crimes. Yep. So he's interfered with prosecutors to let a guilty company go, and he's interfered with prosecutors to convict an innocent man. Justin Trudeau, Michael Wernick, Gerald Butts, Scott Bryson, I don't know the RCMP's role, I don't know General Vance, the head of uh, the Chief of Defense Staff. I think if you were serious about justice and the rule of law, you would clean them all out. Now, the trouble yeah. with Canada is, unlike the United States, where you have this two-year special in council led by uh, Robert Mueller, uh, dozens of lawyers and FBI agents, uh, hundreds of subpoenas, hundreds of... Uh, they left no stone unturned to check into the ludicrous claim of Russian collusion. Yeah. And in the end, they found none. It was a ridiculous $50 million exercise. In Canada, we have concrete evidence of SNC-Lavalin corruption. I mean, the Attorney General herself says so. <laughs> we have evidence here of law breaking by the PMO to frame an innocent man. Concrete evidence, and yet our police, our lapdogs, not watchdogs, and we have no, and the Senate covers it up, and the parliamentary committees cover it up. We don't have the same checks and balances and scrutiny and, and accountability that they have in America. And for all the excesses there, and for all their sound and fury, you know what? They have a better, cleaner system, and they clean out their gutters. We don't clean out our gutters. Yeah. And, and Ezra, tell me, what, from a political perspective here, do you think by you know the uh, prosecution deciding to wave the white flag of surrender, um, this is sort of a consolation prize, given that had this gone to trial and we had seen, you know, daily dispatches of how egregious people acted against this gentleman, and it would be on the front page every day in an election year, well, election half year as it is right now, um, that would have been far more damaging to the Trudeau brand than simply doing what they did on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, ironically, by doing the right thing for uh, Vice Admiral Norman, uh, the prosecutor has actually saved Trudeau from a, a thermonuclear existential level threat of this trial because the corruption that would have come out here yes. is actually, it is worse to convict a guilty man than it is to set a, a guilty company free. What they did in SNC-Lavalin was atrocious. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, letting a criminal go free, SNC-Lavalin has admitted to a number of crimes, is morally and ethically not as evil as convicting an honest man, which they deliberately tried to do. And I wonder where our RCMP is. I know in the SNC-Lavalin matter, no fewer than five former attorneys general, 
of provinces and the federal government wrote to the RCMP and saying, you need to investigate this. And the RCMP has been quiet as a mouse. And the same thing in the Mark Norman case. Yeah. Now, the good news is, at his press conference on Wednesday, Wednesday, Mark Norman himself said there's a lot more to be told about this story, and he intends to tell it. And there's no uh, privileged commentary uh, um, situation, much like uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould in this case. I don't know and what his obligations you. are uh, as a military officer. Mm. I don't know that. Uh, but he has the best of legal advice, and I'm sure he'll do things in a compliant way. I think, you know, I was in that press conference at the Naval Officers uh, Club in Ottawa. Oh, and that was a beauty. Well, it was, there's about 20 or 30 <laughs> yeah. reporters there. And these are people who six months ago would have been absolute drink the Kool-Aid Trudeau cult members. Yeah. Um, personally in love with him, personally, you know, Team Trudeau, taking selfies with them. That room <laughs> was so disillusioned. They were enraptured by Marie Hainan and Mark Norman. Yeah. And they were, I think, disgusted and angry. And they were showing it to different degrees. But what I, I mean, obviously I learned a lot from Mark Norman and Marie Hainan, the lawyer. But watching the absolute, you know, it was, it was like someone who's fallen out of love <laughs> and now they see the flaws and they say, how could I ever have loved Trudeau when he's such an imposter and such a faker and all his talk about doing government differently, he's actually worse than anyone. And, and you know, Ezra, I find this a fascinating sidebar story to the main event because to me what that suggests is that despite many of these media types in that room with you the other day accepting the filthy lucre from this uh, Trudeau liberal government, this story stinks so badly. What they did to a man, what they did to his reputation, what they did to his career, that even by being paid off, they could not ignore the facts of the matter. And by the way, look at the support for this man. He has a GoFundMe page, Ezra. It's right now at over $430,000, which by the way, from what I've heard, doesn't cover the full legal costs. And now, I guess, we got to talk about damages. Yeah. What is the federal government going to do? Well, that's the thing. You put a man through two years of uh, a false prosecution, paying his legal bills doesn't mean, okay, we're even Z's. Hey, uh, no harm done. I, I dragged <laughs> you through the month for two years. Yeah. I put you and your family through untold stress. I destroyed your career, at least for two years. And um, <laughs> I let you go. And, I'll, and actually, the government has since indicated that they will likely pay his legal fees, but I'm sorry, you can't punch someone in the face for two years and say, all right, my bad, uh, let's pretend that didn't happen. He has, a, he has a civil suit against him for abuse of office, yes. abuse of process, false prosecution. There is probably other technical offenses of uh, tampering with evidence, uh, defying, there's, there's probably a good lawyer, which of course he has, could probably find at least four or five species of law that Justin Trudeau and his corrupt cronies broke. And I think that uh, they know it. I think there's a reason Gerald Butts resigned, Michael Wernick resigned, because every damn thing's coming out now. And uh, takeaway question, uh, Ezra, I mean, we could talk about this all day, it's so fascinating. But I wanna get an idea from you, in terms of people who are not vested in this, who are not engaged in the news, um, what does this mean in terms of political fallout come October? Is this uh, enough to resonate with average Canadian voters that, you know, this is another stink bomb and another reason why I can't vote for this crew? Well, I think it, it, it stops the cheerleaders. I mean, other than 
the palace guard at the CBC who will, <laughs> you know, do whatever they have to for Justin Trudeau because he literally pays them. I mean, they really are paid propaganda. It's like a state broadcaster yes. in Turkey or Russia or, or Qatar. So other than the palace guard of the CBC, I think there's still people who are, the media is still biased liberal. It's just they're not going to engage in the, in the saccharine suite um, cheerleading anymore. Yeah. And the message tracks out there, and you know, it's funny because we, you do them and we have some student journalists, including Adam, the pathetic millennial who goes out <laughs> and does streeters yeah. uh, in downtown Toronto in sort of a Canada's version of Times Square, the Young and Dundas Square. And those are, that's Generation Trudeau down there. They're young, multicultural students, hip, new, new Canadians. And and um, as I know from watching your series, Generation Trudeau, <laughs> those people are generally very pro-Trudeau. Yeah. But in recent weeks, I mean, we just did a, Adam did a, some streeters there asking people who would you rather vote for, <laughs> Trudeau or a potato? And maybe it was a silly question that was fun to say, a yeah. potato. But everyone except for one said I'd vote for the potato. And he said, why? And everyone gave a, so if the people at Young and Dundas, young hipsters yeah. who don't, obsess about politics like you and me, if their reflex is, yeah, I don't like Trudeau anymore, that tells me that the zeitgeist, the conventional wisdom has turned. And you don't have the cheerleaders anymore. Severely normal people who don't think a lot about politics are saying, yeah, he's not really what he was promised. If you ask them for specifics why, they'll come up with an answer if pressed. The polls don't lie. Uh, Andrew Shear's ahead of the Trudeau by a dozen points or so. And of course, we have a real test Last week in the uh, Nanaimo by-election, oh, Trudeau came in fourth with 11%. And the Green Party obviously took those left-of-center votes. Mm. I think Justin Trudeau is a disaster, and I w wouldn't have imagined that possible six months ago. Incredible. Well, you know, uh, when you lose to a vegetable in a street poll by young people, uh, all I can say is maybe there's a new uh, party on the horizon, the uh, Potato Party of Canada. PPC. Mm. Oh, I think that might be taken. <laughs> um, <laughs> folks, uh, Ezra, excellent uh, report. Thank you so much for joining me. And folks, if you haven't seen Ezra's, uh, uh, not streeter, but an interview with the uh, federal prosecution uh, lawyer, it is uh get some popcorn ready and watch this. It's it's, it's what's become a, a typical rebel interview, whether it's Ezra with her or me with Marian Monsef or Ahmad Hussein, where we're chasing the back of somebody's head asking questions and the answers are uh, nonsensical and bizarre. And I think ultimately what it means is that if you're going to be a rebel staffer, you've got to work on your cardio. <laughs> they're, not, they're not stationary targets. Keep it here and more Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Ian Bextie here for the Rebel.media on Stanford campus in California. We came down here today because we were going to cover the Palestinian Awareness Week demonstrations that have been popping up throughout Californian campuses. We got a tip that this one in particular was going to be very high energy. There was going to be some good interviews to be had, some good conversations to have. Uh, it turns out that wasn't really the case. The couple people that showed up showed up half an hour late to put up this apartheid wall behind me uh, and they weren't too keen on doing interviews i i don't know why uh, they just didn't want to share their message they haven't really been engaging with students either so uh, here's my quick conversation that i had with the demonstrators i just would like to do a story on what's going on here is there anyone that would like to chat about it sorry no you could like message our facebook page and someone could get back to you maybe 
Well, you're you're like you're hosting a public demonstration. Why don't you want to talk I, about what's going on? I I just rather not. You can message us on Facebook if you like. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. That, that that seems a little bit weird. You can message us on Facebook if you like. Since they weren't too interested in talking with the one media outlet that bothered to come cover their event, I figured I would chat with students to figure out uh, if they agree with the message of these pro-Palestinian demonstrators. Here's what the students of Stanford had to say. How does it make you feel that, that they're saying that Israel... Uh, I don't think the home... I know enough about this protest. Um, okay. I'm generally in support of Palestinian rights. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you think that Israel is an apartheid state? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. What 100%. about it makes it an apartheid state? Well, um, I mean, it, it separates like... I, I didn't go there, but it separates like uh, Israelis and Muslims, like the Gaza and... Um, well, it I separates mean, Gaza from Israel, but that's Gaza, not really yeah. what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the state of Israel uh, on its own. Uh, you know, Muslims could, could can sit in the Knesset, they can represent themselves in government. Does that make it an apartheid state? They cannot. They, they can. They can. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not 100% into it, but as yeah. far as I know, um, there is like... Um, I recently watched the Conan show where he went to Israel and where... where I don't know if Arabic or Muslim people can't go onto the, onto the um, Israeli side of things. They definitely can. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what he meant. Wow! So much for a high-energy demonstration. So much for having an informed opinion, because when it comes to the facts of the matter regarding Israel, the scholars at Stanford University appear to subscribe to the philosophy of ignorance is bliss. And joining me now with a story about more Israel bashing on campus is our very own roving reporter, Kian Bexty. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me. You got it. Well, it seemed it was impossible for you to get answers from those gatekeepers of the wall or whatever they were called. But tell me, Kian, who is behind this farce in the first place? Well, I certainly don't think that it's legitimate students. Uh, as you said, it's Stanford University that I went to and all across California, all, all across North America, actually, Palestinian Awareness Weeks are being held in conjunction with uh, Israel's Independence Day that they celebrate, uh, I believe it's today uh, or Thursday. Um, so they're, they're hosting these events, Palestinian Awareness Weeks. They're called a bunch of different things, ranging from that to Israeli Apartheid Week. It's some pretty crazy stuff. But I think at the base of it, it's not really the students that are organizing it because especially at Stanford, uh, they're right in the thick of exams right now and any self-respecting Stanford student certainly isn't sitting out on the quad throwing around a frisbee this time of year. They're, they have their nose in books, books uh, they're in the library uh, or they're writing exams. So to take the time to do this, I, I'm for one not convinced that they were actually students. Um, but who's behind it, I, I don't know. You know, th that's interesting. Uh, so that contributes to the complete total fail narrative of this protest, I think. Uh, first of all, the students, the real students at Stanford are hard uh, working on their exams. Um, no media except for yourself shows up. And then the one guy, you, Kian, who's asking questions, uh, those two guys seemed uh, more, uh, more concerned about getting back to their ham sandwiches uh, and telling you just to go to Facebook. I mean, you have to wonder, what was the yeah. point in the first place? 
Well, I, I don't know. The Facebook uh, was pro is probably being operated by some Hamas operatives or something. I don't know. They weren't obviously weren't qualified to be answering questions about what they were demonstrating. They juveniles uh, putting up this wall that said, you know, dump Trump and control, alt, delete Israel, uh, and a whole bunch of just weird sayings that look like um, look like children's writing on walls. They they they're obviously being manipulated by someone. I, I don't think that they have the capacity to do it themselves. Uh, what they were doing, and and like like I said earlier, when I walked up to them to ask them some very simple questions about what is this wall about, uh, I wasn't being aggressive in any way, shape, or form. I simply just said, "What's your story? Why are you here?" And they couldn't even answer that. They just said, "Go to Facebook to talk to our overlords." Yeah, it, it, it's astonishing. Um, and by the way, since they can't articulate their points, I did freeze frame your video to read those messages on that so-called wall. But you know. Let's let's be honest. Pieces of big cardboard, really. And um, there were, you know, let's analyze some of them. There was one word, one big word of graffiti was coexist. Well, I can tell you, Kian, I've been to Israel several times. There's nothing more that the Israelis want than to coexist in peace. I think they have to send that message past Israel's borders to those nations that uh, engage in. Uh, formal wars and terrorism against Israel on a constant basis. As you mentioned, dump Trump was there. I don't know why that's there. Maybe because Trump uh, decided to move the, uh, the embassy to Jerusalem uh, a while back. And what I found to be the most perverse message, and we've seen this in Toronto during the gay pride parade, queers against apartheid. Now, Keen, I'm gonna, I'll tell you one thing. If I were a gay man or a lesbian and I had to live in a Middle Eastern nation, I am picking Israel in a heartbeat because you can live there freely without intimidation and violence and even death. Whereas if you try that in some of the neighboring countries in that neighborhood, well, I hope you bought life insurance. <laughs> that's that's funny that you say that because you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll... Ask the producer to put up a, a shot of the Tel Aviv City Hall, and you can see the Pride flag being broadcast on it uh, during Pride Week or whenever it was. It's a pretty, pretty famous photo. I imagine if you tried to do that, the Palestinian Authority would have your head faster than you can say Hamas. Yeah, it, it's incredible, and yet he, here, uh, this is a, a movement of the left, and the left is supposedly all about gay rights uh, as well as freedom of speech, of expression, women's rights, and yet the people they're standing up for in that pretty bad neighborhood of the world, the Middle East, uh, those things go out the window. But, Kian, one, one thing I want to drill down here, because it's the constant chestnut uh, that's thrown out there when you talk about those people uh, criticizing uh, Israel. And they, they fall back on the argument, well, I'm not anti-Semitic. You, you can be a critic of Israel without being an anti-Semite. And I buy that 100%. I think you should be able to criticize any nation in the world, including the one we live in. But when you frame the argument as Israel apartheid week, it, there is no apartheid in Israel. So if the premise of your protest is based on a lie, then what is the real ostensible policy reason behind it? I would argue, Kian, it's nothing more than good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. Well, I think you're exactly right. And, and 
uh, Ezra likened it to this when he was chatting with me about uh, my coverage. You, th there comes a point where you can say, yeah, that sure, there's problems with the Israeli government. You disagree with what uh, Bibi is doing uh, in, in his leadership there, fine, whatever. But you can't say, uh, I don't think that a certain group of people should be allowed to live in Israel. It's like saying uh, you don't like Italians. You don't want, you know, you, you really don't like pizza. You don't like pasta. You, you hate the Italian government. And you really don't want Italian immigrants near you. Uh, you know, at some point you start thinking, well, maybe, maybe you're a racist. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't like Italians because you're a racist. And the same thing applies to Israel, uh, where where the indigenous population are Jewish people. So how how can these people who at the same time are going to be doing all these treaty recognitions for Aboriginal North Americans, um, they they you know, stand up for those indigenous rights. But when it comes to the indigenous rights of the Jewish people in Israel, no, that's a no bueno for them. I, it doesn't It doesn't make sense. There's some cognitive, cognitive dissonance there. And, and Ken, you know what's really sad and what's really perversely ironic? The, the narrative in the Middle East, of course, is that Israel is the cause of all the problems there. And the solution, of course, is to bomb it into oblivion, drive all the is, is, Israelis into the sea, and the fact of the matter is, Kian, if that horrible reality ever came true, all of the problems you have in the Middle East today are still there with or without Israel. How, how well, do you feel I, about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I mean, that's a pretty uh, uh, easy statement to agree with. I mean, when Israel's the one democracy in the Middle East, I mean, how can you say that democracy is the problem? I don't, I don't get that. You know, what, what's the alternative? Having more Palestinian authorities running around, having more you know, Jordans and Irans and Iraqs and Saudi Arabia, these, these despotic regimes? Sure, maybe you like that kind of thing, but uh, I don't think that's the world that I want to live in. And if, I'm, I'm certain uh, if that was how the United States was being operated, like Iraq, uh, Iraq or Saudi Arabia or Yemen, uh, they wouldn't be so happy about it. No, I agree. And maybe the solution for these protesters that perpetuate this lie of Israeli apartheid is maybe to take a sabbatical, go to Israel for a year, and then go to a, a country like Assyria, like in Iran right now, uh, for a year, and see what the life experience is truly like. Kian, uh, wonderful report, um, as always, and thank you for weighing in with me here. Thanks for having me. You got it. And that was Kian Bexty down in California. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. So last Friday was World Press Freedom Day. As we reported, the Trudeau Liberals marked the occasion by giving away $11.7 million of your tax dollars to enhance press freedom in such regimes as the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Middle East, and Kenya. Maryam Monsef, the Minister of International Development and the Minister for Women and Gender Equality. And by the way, Women and Gender Equality Minister? What the hell is that? Anyways, at a Toronto news conference, uh, she said that a free press matters because, well, the truth matters. Really? Then, why did the Trudeau Liberals tell the UN to ban me and my colleague, Sheila Gunn-Reed, 
from UN conferences, and naturally the UN complied. I asked the minister this question as she ran for her safe space last week. I don't think I got an answer. Here, you be the judge. Minister Monsef, uh David Menzies with Rebel Media. Just a quick question. Um, the United Nations, oh no, the United Nations uh, told our reporters they were banned from covering their conferences due to um, a directive from the Canadian government. Do you support that? I hope you support what we're doing here today, which is ensuring freedom of expression and an independent free press for your well, colleagues around the world. But, but that's precisely the point. Um, we traveled to Morocco, we traveled to Poland, and we were shut out of UN conferences because of an edict from your government. Does that sound like world press freedom to you, Minister? What we're doing today is supporting an independent and free press in some of the most troubled regions of the world. And I have no doubt that you rejoice in this investment and this initiative. Well, you know, but how, how do you square the fact that you won't even let Canadian journalists that might have a dissenting opinion about things like immigration and climate change to attend UN conferences? And here you are um, advocating for World Press Freedom Day. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay. This doesn't look like a lot of freedom, ladies. Can it possibly get any more perversely ironic than that? A federal Liberal cabinet minister lauds World Press Freedom Day while her own government bans Canadian reporters from attending UN conferences due to, well, what exactly? Having contrarian opinions? For asking some tough questions? But that's the real face of the Liberals. It's not someone or some people who believe in freedom of the press, but rather they're a bunch of control freaks when it comes to maintaining the Justin Trudeau narrative. How pathetic. Anyway, here's what some of you had to say. XX Dark Slayer Lord writes, Dictator Trudeau doesn't like it when anyone criticizes or questions him. We must throw off the yoke of monarchy and make our country safe for hypocrisy. Mark Grant writes, OMG, the condescending answers to her own agenda with that smarmy smile is just creepy. It looks like a scene from a horror movie. <coughs> Design and Direction writes, Canadian Bias Corporation very much like the biased broadcasting corporation of the UK. Oh yes, and here's another thing. Some governments do make pesky journalists disappear, as in forever, if they dare to ask the wrong questions. But other governments, well, they use the carrot rather than the stick approach by paying off the media via subsidies and bailouts. Probably works just as well, too. Buy that for a dollar. E. Ridge Pistra writes, It sounded like a garburator. Hmm, <laughs> you might be onto something, sir, but let's be fair to the garburator here. It is supposed to sound and function in such a fashion. I would like to think that most Canadians expect more from their MPs than simply an automated garbage in, garbage out process. Darren P. writes, you got an answer. It was, leave me alone. My liberal mind can't handle truth. Yeah, if only Jack Nicholson could have tagged along to utter that iconic line. You can't handle the truth. 
You know, I just wonder if Monsef will be able to handle the truth that shall reveal itself come October 21st. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for watching. And remember, folks, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.